Father, we just come to you, Father, this twelfth day of the seventh month. All one we say is, Lord, just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. We just want to thank you, Lord. What can we give it to you, Lord? Your word itself says, what is that you have that you have not received? We came naked, empty. We will go naked, empty. Everything in between you have added into our lives. And out of that a portion, we give it to you to acknowledge you are our provider. You are our provision. Receive it, O Father. May it be acceptable in thy sight. We also remember, Lord, the others in our churches who go out to work. The names may have forgotten. We remember Joanna. We remember Vidya, Lord, who has to go and customers keep coming. And I pray, Lord, you will protect all of them, Lord. They too are in harm's way. Our Lord is our protection and our shield and our exceedingly great reward. So we commit all our dear ones into the hands once again, Lord. And as we go to the ministry of the word, I pray that you would speak to us. Your word is life. Your word is light. Your word has a power to work in those who believe. So give us hearing ears, a mind that understands correctly, a heart that believes, and give us the strength to obey, that we may please our Father in heaven and our God, who created us and redeemed us. Speak to us, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. So, this morning is communion service, and I also want to say to those who are listening online, communion will be at the end of the service, okay? We do not, different churches have different formats. Any format is fine, but we as a church, we always have it at the end of the service. And uh, the few of us who are gathered over here, because you'll be watching online and you have been given the elements here, we will break the bread and we'll pass it on to the few who are here. And all of you wait until I say we partake of the bread and there in your homes we'll believe in our hearts, we partake all it. In a way, it's incredible that time zones, nothing separates us, nations, nothing separates us. As one body, we will be partaking. So when we partake of the bread, you also partake of the bread and the elements, the, the communion, the bread and the wine. <clears throat> so this morning as we Go back to the word. And uh, there has to be an intensity in our word life and our prayer life because there is an intensity in the demonic as the end approaches. The Bible promises that and we see that everywhere. And uh, we see all these things happening and there has to be a corresponding intensity in our response to that in word, in prayer, and as God castigates to look loudish in church, he says, be hot, be on fire. Lukewarmness or coldness is not an acceptable, uh, no, uh, it's not acceptable in the kingdom of God. So we've been looking at uh, the kingdom of God. Remember we started weeks back about a certain noble man who called his ten servants. And gives them one commission, which was, occupy till I come. 
and those ten signifying the church and various people differ in how they occupy and we are called to hold on and occupy till he comes. And we saw also the gospel is primarily the gospel about the kingdom. And we take the kingdom out, the gospel can mean anything. Anything. All the isms in the world are different gospels of where the kingdom isn't there. If you bring the kingdom into any ism or any religion, if you bring the kingdom in, it, it suddenly you realizes it doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit in. Because the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. If you take the kingdom off, you can make the gospel sound like anything you want to. So the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus came and the precursor was, of course, John the Baptist. He is the one who will announce Jesus. And he is the one with who it begins. And he begins with the statement, the kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is near. And in the terms of prayer, when we were asked to teach us to pray, or in the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us to pray. He said, this is how you need to pray. Even our prayer life, he's saying, should be focused. I mean, we're going to have three days of prayer continuously, three days where we pray for an hour and a half and personal. We have to always look into our own prayers and see if the kingdom comes is at the core of our prayer. At the core of our prayer is about prayers kingdom centric. Like even if I ask for something which is very personal, how does it affect my relationship with the king and the kingdom? Does it take me forward or does it take me backward if God answers this prayer? That's why Jesus is putting those parameters over there. He says, teach us to pray. This is how you need to pray. My name, thy name, thy kingdom, thy will. You know? So we need to look at all our prayer. It can be, it may look so simple and harmless, but in reality, if God were to answer it, it may not be harmless. It may not be harmless. It may actually bring harm to us because we did not put the kingdom into the, into the center of it. And we also saw in the middle, practically at the exact middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ will prioritize in Matthew 6 and verse 33. And priority always will define your life. Whatever you end up in life depends upon what you prioritized in your life. What you kept most important. Always, everybody, whatever you end up in life is because what you prioritize. And Jesus said for his people, for the children of God, this is priority. Seek first. And if you seek second, you will never achieve this. Let me tell you honestly, even if you make it to the kingdom of God, in eternity you will end up as a nobody. Nobody. Okay, David had many sons. We know the name of one who ascended the throne. We name of, know the name of two who were executed, killed. And we hardly know the names of the others. He had so many sons, so many children. Do we know the names of them? No. And why was Solomon king? Because if you look at he prioritized one thing in his life, that he will honor his father. And God saw that. One thing he prioritized. Okay. That was not a priority for the other sons. So priority will always define what we end up in the kingdom of God. So in life, we have to remember this is the key statement 
in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first. He did not say second. He did not say third. He did not say whenever you want. He says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So when he introduces this concept called the kingdom of God, other than Jesus Christ, if you look in the Old Testament, the only other book which deals with the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in kind of detail is the book of Daniel. It's the book of Daniel. Of the other 39 books, 38 books are more connected with God's people and the kingdom of Israel. But the kingdom of God, if you need to look in one book in the Old Testament, it's only the book of Daniel. That's because one man was searching and studying eschatology. That is the only reason. Because one man was perceiving something, though he was in Babylon, in relationship to Israel, he was perceiving something, God revealed it to him. But what God revealed to him, he did not understand Please don't think that any one of the old covenant prophets, even when they prophesied a lot of things, they did not understand. Because those things were hidden mysteries, unraveled for us who are in the new covenant, who entered into the kingdom by spiritual rebirth. Only they have been given the ability to understand actually the kingdom of God. They did not, because they did not enter into the kingdom. They saw from outside, we see from inside. So our understanding is different. But the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom. And Jesus made it very clear. Remember to Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. I have a kingdom, but it is not of this world. So what world is it from? Let's say a hundred years ago or a little more or less than that. The world did not know about bacteria and viruses. They were real for almost 6,000 years. But the world did not know. It was an invisible world. And millions and millions and millions have died in human history simply because they did not know what a virus was or what a bacteria was. Right? They did not know. They did not know because they could not see. Think about COVID-19. The pandemic that is there. Nobody can actually see the virus. Right? But everybody knows because of electron microsofts and scientific advancement, everybody knows. So nobody questions the fact that you need to wash your hands. You need to wear a mask. You need to maintain social distancing. No? But has anybody seen, sitting here, has anybody seen the coronavirus? No, but nobody doubts its existence anymore. Hmm? And we, we look at those five parameters given to come through the coronavirus. Wash your hands, wear a mask, maintain social distancing, eat healthy, exercise regularly. Before these five was given, God had told it already. If you want to enter into the kingdom of God, who can ascend to the hill of God? Those who wash their hands regularly. Okay? And life and death is in the power of the... Wear a mask over your mouth. Shut your mouth. Talk. Don't talk unnecessarily. Okay? Come out from them and you shall be my sons and maintain social distancing. 
Okay. And he said, eat healthy. And he said, exercise regularly. Walk by faith. Okay. And he says, you are free. Now, in a practical level, we are, see, we accepted. Immediately, we accepted all these five guidelines because we heard about this virus and we saw the damages all around. But these five things which God told, we refused to accept it because we don't accept the kingdom of God is real. You see, people are willing to change lifestyles drastically because of something they cannot see, but they believe because they see the effects. Hospitals are jammed. Ventilators are a acute shortage. Out of stock. Cemeteries are full. Graveyards are full, Muslim and Christian. You know why? Because they believed something which they do not see. Because they saw the effects. But in the same way, there is an invisible world all and around us. And in us too. Two kingdoms. Two kingdoms that are clashing. We may not see it. But it's actually real. You know how it is real? Because you see the casualties of that spiritual warfare all around us. Look at the depressed, the discouraged people. The suicide rates going up every day. The marriages that are breaking down every day. The violence that seems to be peaking every day. The abuses people and children especially are going through. The murders, the rape. You name it. And you look at it and say, why is this happening? Why is it happening? Because scientific advancement should have brought less of this. It's actually increasing. Nothing seems to be decreasing. This all seems to be increasing because there is a war being raised in the spiritual realm all around us. Invisible, but absolutely real. And you look at the casualties that are around us and God says the casualties are visible. Individuals, families, society, nations, it's universal. No one is exempt from it. No, So you see, it's very difficult to fight an enemy you can see. It's even more difficult to fight an enemy you cannot see. That's why for thousands of years, people died, let us say, needlessly of viruses and bacteria because they did not see. They did not see. And once they started seeing... And antidotes were no, penicillin, Alexander Fleming, if I'm right, no, penicillin first, okay, Hepzibah up to date on biology and science right now, okay. Okay, so if you look at, it's changed life, penicillin changed life, right? it changed life, because somebody saw and somebody brought out. So you need to realize, the gospel it's a declaration of the kingdom of God, which is invisible. Invisible. There are two kingdoms. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, the Bible declares another kingdom, which is already here. We are of, we know we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
He is called the ruler of this world, the prince of this world. The prince of darkness he is called. He controls this entire world. Remember that. The world system. Into this, Jesus comes. And Mark, Matthew 4 and verse 17 is the declaration of that kingdom coming. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's interesting, right? If you always have to take a step back and say, What did he say? Now, that's not what we would say, right? We would say, Shout and rejoice for the kingdom of God has come. Burst some crackers because kingdom of God has come. Or bring out a champagne for the kingdom of God. He doesn't say any of these things. He says repent. He says you have to understand the implications of what is coming. The kingdom of God has come is a declaration of war. And the end is decided. The kingdom of God will overcome all the kingdoms of this world. So the king is giving you a time. Extend mercy. Repent. Repent. Repentance is actually a call to surrender. It's a call to surrender. Surrender your life to this kingdom. While you are living in enemy territory. And we have to understand what it means, the implications of this statement. And when we receive the statement and we daily pray like ignoramuses, thy kingdom come. We have to be aware of the implications of that prayer and the consequences of that and be prepared for the war that will take place. Like in one of those meetings a few months ago before the pandemic closed down took place in one of the meetings of, I forgot the old city MP's name. In one of his overseas, uh, I think it was one of his meetings, a young girl shouted Pakistan Zindabad. A foolish girl. And she was just released a few weeks. Immediately she was arrested and she was in. Imagine in India shouting Pakistan Zindabad. You must be out of your mind. And it doesn't matter you are a young girl, you are a student, none of these things matter. Immediately were arrested. Okay? Imagine in this world, the king is Satan and we say Jesus Zindabad. God says prepare for the consequences. And then we stand here and say, thy kingdom come. We are living in enemy territory. Right now. Okay? Living in enemy territory right now. And when we pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not a simple prayer. It's not a simple prayer. So we always have to be prepared. Know we are ready for the warfare. Know that the end of it could be death. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives even unto death. God says, you could die. But death is victory. It's not defeat. It's not victory. In this world, death is seen as defeat. But for all God's children, death is not seen as defeat. It has seen as victory. And the victory will be seen when I come back the second time. You will come back and take over the earth. Then they will know you didn't really die. Okay? So understand the implications. 
how you look at it. The primary reason is this. You see, primarily in the world, there are two major worldviews. Your worldview is basically the lens by which you perceive reality. Perceive reality. The first, normal. It's not normal, it's abnormal in God's sight, but what we call normal, and that is taught, is the natural or materialist worldview, which primarily says man by his reason can figure out how everything works out. People who live by this viewpoint try to explain everything by natural means and natural process. The test tube, the microscope. Everything through natural means. It's a natural process. The problem is, it's very limited. It cannot explain a lot of things which cannot be seen. So until the electron microscope came, nobody believed there was a bacteria or a virus. Okay. Until Galileo discovered the telescope and looked, everybody thought the earth was flat and the sun revolved around the earth. Okay. So you will see this viewpoint is very, very, very limited because if you go by natural process, you cannot see your soul. You cannot see your soul. You cannot see your spirit. So you will break down the human being also into chemical structure. So have an issue in the soul that will try to balance the imbalance in the chemical structure. That's what they do. If you are mentally you're going wrong, what they do is they give you sedatives. They give you sedatives. That's how they handle it. They are not able to see the naturalistic Worldview is completely constrained by the material world. And all atheistic ideologies are a result of this worldview. All atheistic, every atheistic ideology, there's no atheistic religion, all atheistic ideologies is a result of this Worldview. And therefore you will see in every atheistic worldview, they will have a cause, but in reality they don't value all lives. Because life in itself is not valuable, because in a materialistic, natural, uh, there is nothing beyond death. It's nothing beyond death. So life in itself is not valuable, per se. Okay. Then you have the second other major worldview. It's a spiritual worldview. This says there is this invisible realm outside of us, this material world. Here again, it can be divided into two. Acts 26 verse 18 divides it beautifully into two. This is a spiritual worldview to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. So it talks about two kingdoms over there, invisible. One is the kingdom of Satan, the other is the kingdom of God. 
two. Both kingdoms have power. So Satan is a created being. He was created with great power. And he established a kingdom of his own after he was thrown out. And God has given him a certain period of time. Roughly like 6,000 years. Okay. So there are these two. And everything that we see is the battle that is taking place in that realm which affects mankind. So the atheistic, natural, materialistic worldview discounts this completely. So if you say somebody is demon possessed, they will say it's hallucination. So they discount, they cannot accept that. Okay. They cannot accept that. And even if they think it is real, they will not accept it because then you have to accept a moral absolutes. And moral absolutes will demand change in lifestyle, which they don't want to. You need to understand why. Even if they think there is something, they will not accept. So there is the second viewpoint in which we all are included. Much of the world is included. And that is where religions come in. You have the kingdom of darkness and you have the kingdom of light. And there is a battle going on, raging on, starting from Genesis chapter 3 will finish in Revelation 20. There is this battle. And the effects of it is seen everywhere. The individual, the family, the church, the nations, the entire world. The effects of this battle is seen from there. It began with an individual called Eve, went into the family of Adam, and the nations. By the time you have Ten generations down, Genesis 6, God had, you don't have to go there, he had to destroy the whole of mankind except for eight people. And you need to understand why we focus so much on the word and on prayer, because the church is the only entity in this material world that is called and equipped to fight this battle. Because the rest of the world are prisoners. And we are called to set them free. And what characterized Jesus' ministry when he came and announced the kingdom and he sent his disciples out, he gave them a fourfold, primarily fourfold ministry. Preach the kingdom. And he said, go preach the kingdom and do this. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Of these four, the first three was there all over the Old Testament. They healed the sick, they cleansed the lepers, and they raised the dead. But not a single person could cast out demons. Because they had no power over the powers of darkness. That kingdom ruled over even the kingdom of Israel. Because the kingdom of God had yet not made its arrival. The kingdom of God makes its arrival when the king steps in in the flesh. And his declaration is, repent, the kingdom of God is here. And one of the first and the most important signs of the kingdom coming is, was the casting out of demons. And it caused excitement. It caused panic. It caused excitement and it caused panic. It caused panic in the religious structure because suddenly they realized he was different from them. 
It was different from them. There was an established structure. Lepers could go to them and the priest would declare, you are cleansed. You could go to the prayer and according to the Old Testament, they will pray for the sick. All these things were there. All this, they know we have a history, they would say. But the casting of demons had never happened. And Jesus comes and that was the plan. What kind of a man is he? He has even authority over demons. So panic was there. Excitement was there. In Luke chapter 10 verse 20, the disciples were tickled pink. They were so excited. You know what they say? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. that spirits are subject to you. They said, go to verse 19. I think it's 18 and 19. No, yeah, let me go to 18. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord. See, they had healed the sick. Probably cleansed the lepers. And they were not excited by any of those things. So they knew, okay, Elijah did it, Elisha did it, Moses did it, you know, all these people did it. They were excited. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Said, yeah. I saw Satan fall. Then in verse 20, he said, don't get excited. I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. He says, you are in this world, you are not of this world, and the world is under the power of the wicked one, but I give you power and authority over all his power. But he says, don't rejoice over that, that they are subject to you. So they were rejoicing over the fact they had, you know, the, 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 the joy when, if the, like, you know, if tomorrow the Chinese media says in their Galwan encounter, 40 Chinese soldiers had died, there will be excitement here. We lost 20, they lost 40. Suddenly everything will change, but they are keeping quiet. They will never tell how many died. It's the usual Chinese way. They never tell you anything. And anything they tell you is not true. No. That's communist propaganda always. Okay, that's the way it is. So suddenly, so they were excited. And God says, you know what? This is one thing you need to realize. You have been given power over the powers of the enemy. And throughout his ministry, once this started, everybody knew the battle was joined. And he made his statement in Matthew 12 and verse 28. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, this is a sign of the kingdom of God. How do you know in a battle you have won? Either you have killed or taken an enemy prisoner. That's how you know. Okay, Either you take him prisoner or you kill the enemy. So he says, when you cast out demons, when I cast out demons, those are the foot soldiers of the devil. You know the kingdom of God has come. And the kingdom of God is the kingdom of power. And the kingdom of God has power and authority over all the power of the enemy. Okay, why I'm telling you this is because you will realize one of the keys of winning this battle in prayer is by disarming the enemy. Otherwise, if you are not going to win, all our prayers are not going to work until we bind the strong man. And we have to believe that. The preaching of the gospel without prayer is not going to work. That is why the apostles were very, very clear the ministry of prayer and the ministry of, of the word. 
So there you are. He makes this incredible statement. And then before he ascends in Mark chapter 16 and verse 17, when he talks about the signs that will follow those who believe, the first sign is mentioned is this. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Cast out demons. The first sign. First sign. Now you could have put many other signs in there, but the first sign is this. This is an encounter between two kingdoms, two invisible kingdoms. You are in this material, visible kingdom. You have were part of another kingdom. You did not know. Now you have repented and joined this kingdom. And the power of this kingdom will be manifested and you will see when you cast out demons. Okay, They shall cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues, meaning I'll give you a new language. In conformity with that kingdom. So you need to realize. If we are not aware of the invisible enemy. We do not know how to take precautions. No, COVID-19 they worked it out. And then came out with standard protocol. This is what you need to do. Nature of the virus. They don't say that for every virus. Each virus has its own protocol. So because you have to know your enemy and take precautions. So coming days we will look at Ephesians 6 is what it means to take, put on the full armor of God. These are precautions one needs to take because whether you know it or not, you are in the battle. Whether you see it or not, right now in the world, doesn't matter which country you live in, COVID protocol goes. Who brought out the protocol? Who? Who brought out the protocol? Who did? Right? Right? Why? Whether you see it or not, it is there. And church people do not understand just because you do not see, it does not mean you are not in this battle. You are in this battle. You look at the casualties all around and you will realize, oh my God, this is the result of this battle. Like you go to, you go to, let us say, Second World War, go to Europe in 1946. Peace is come. World War is over. But if you go, you will see tens and thousands of bombed out cities and dark ruins standing all over Europe. So you're looking at, you know, something took place here. Though there is no gunshot, there is no firing, nothing is taking place. You look at that, you will know, you know what? This was a battlefield. This was a battlefield. And therefore you look around in the world, you will see this world is a battlefield. It's a battlefield. And it is personal at the individual level and goes all the way to the entire universe level or world level. Let us look at the personal level first. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 31. Where is little Ajay? Ajay, you are awake, right? Yes, Ajay. Good Ajay. Love it. The youngest one always have to be pampered a bit. No? Before that it was Gopi. Now it is Ajay. Gopi is still misking nicely. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. 
Now give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. Rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In those five or six verses we look, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You see, we thought all this has been ha ah, normal, sabko hota hai. But we don't realize the devil and the Holy Spirit both has been brought into this whole gamut of human experience by saying there is a demonic that causes you to act this way and there is the kingdom of God which causes you to act the opposite way. And you don't realize you are all casualties. We are all casualties of it. Why do you lie? Because you are born in sin and there are lying spirits. Why are you so short-tempered? Because you're born in sin and there are spirits of anger. There are spirits of wrath. There are spirits of jealousy. All these spirits can blind you so completely that you have tinted lenses. That you are not able to see what God wants you to see. One of the spirits come and takes over the way you think. The most godly man in your midst, the most faithful man, you see him as your enemy. That's how Saul sees David. There's a jealousy in man and there's a spirit of jealousy. The demonic and the material world has become one. God is warning at a personal level. He says, you know, why did you see the casualties all around? Depressed people, spirit of depression. Spirit of heaviness, the Bible calls it. Depressed, discouraged, angry, wrath, bitter people. All these things. You know why? Because the one world, the kingdom of darkness, has infiltrated into humans. Yesterday I showed you the, the image, right? The spirit, the soul, and the body. And they can come into the body. They can come into the soul. And suddenly you will realize you are not able to see things properly. So you will see that happening, happening, at the individual level, and all of us are susceptible to it. And God says, forewarned is helping you to prepare. You know, this is the nature of the enemy. It's the nature of the enemy. Lord, I should not have anything in me that gives him a toehold in my life. You see, when Jesus walked on earth, the enemy came, and it is written, the ruler of this world came, and he found nothing in him. So looked at him, no wrath, no bitterness. No envy, no jealousy, no prejudices. Everything is searching him out. Nothing. See, Daniel's colleagues searched out Daniel and could find nothing in him. But these are physical enemies searching a physical foe. Okay, how much is hidden from the physical eyes? These are spiritual entities searching out Christ in the flesh and they found nothing in him. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So God says, normal day, what we take as normal reactions could be a result of one kingdom prevailing over the other. He says, don't take it lightly. There is an invisible, like no, throat is sore. 
earlier sore throat didn't matter anymore until covid 19 came i cannot smell panic I cannot taste. You see, suddenly how panic sets in with any of these symptoms because it's connected with something that is fearful. Okay? But God says, are you sensitive about these things in this inner man? And do you know that you could be subject to an attack and you have surrendered your soul, various areas of your soul? Okay? Individual. Let's look at a family, just as a point as the Bible talks about family. You know, just one example he talks about a family. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time. He's talking about a family between husband and wife. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. Come together again so that Satan does not tempt you. How did Satan enter the bedroom? Yes, do you, do you realize? He says he sees certain and then he will use that certain situation to destroy your home. When Peter says, beware of the devil, he's a roaring lion, roaming back and forth, looking whom to devour, waiting, he's walking around with a sword. No, he's checking the bedroom. He's checking your conversation. You're checking what you're looking at, because he knows in different ways he can send his demonic entities out to entice you and get you. Because there is an invisible world that permeates everything. Permeates everything. See, there are only two or three or four people, I don't know how many, who are absolutely not worried about COVID-19. Absolutely. They have no fear of COVID-19. You know who they are? They are in the space station. This is a space station floating around with a few astronauts and cosmonauts over there. They have no fear because they are not breathing this air. Because they know this is not affecting them. But when they are getting closer and closer and closer to earth, panic begins. See, what you do not see, we will say in English, what you don't see doesn't hurt. I am telling you it is not true. What you don't see hurts you more. It hurts you more. The Bible is talking about casualties everywhere. Individual lives Families, just look at this as one example of a family. Of a family. Look at how the enemy, because for everything God has given an order and a structure in the kingdom of God. And the devil will always try to see you don't fit into that structure so that he can take over. And you don't even realize you are taking over, he's taken over because you get a false sense of freedom. Which is fleeting. What about the church? The church is a group of individuals and families. And on top of that, from the beginning, the church has to face the constant attack of false apostles, false prophets, false evangelists, false pastors, and false teachers. And what do those people all bring in First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1? 
false doctrines. Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and we think demons don't have doctrines. A doctrine does not have power unless there are demons attached to it. Every ideology that has power is because there is a demonic entity behind it. That's what it gives it power. Otherwise it does not have power. Certain ideologies are floated, it goes around and just falls flat, nothing happens. You know why? There is no demonic, a demonic looks in and says it will not succeed, don't waste your time. The devil also knows he has limited time, he is not going to waste time over ideologies which will not catch people. So please understand, there are doctrines of demons. There are deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And it affects churches. It affects churches. The doctrine of Christ is the doctrine of the kingdom of God. Anything that takes your attention from this core thing, before you accept anything, you always have to ask this question, how does it relate and affect my relationship with my king and my service in the kingdom? will have wear off. Because what the devil does is to the people in the church, gives them very, very righteous causes, which actually at the end of it, takes you away from the king and the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God itself is a cause that consumes your whole life. It affects everything in every nation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. What is the course of this world? According to the prince of the power of the air. It's the prince of the power of the air. And that is how everything, I mean, what is what common about all of us? It's the air we breathe. We all say this is the air we breathe. And everything is permeated through air waves. There is no air, there is no sound. You don't hear. And he is the prince of the air. So the prince of the air defines education, culture, music, everything. Prince of the air. Everything is defined by him. He controls everything. Everything. And we've seen in the book of Daniel, especially chapter 10, about, we don't have to go there, about nations having princes over them. The battle going up in the second realm to answer one man's prayer. Demonic entities. And in chapter 6 and verse 12 of Ephesians, Paul puts across a structure there. And you cannot discount that structure. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He puts all kinds of structure over there. And he says, you know what? You're fighting real. You're fighting real. And you have to be very, 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 and very, very careful and sensitive because you can get into a very cozy relationship with these guys and actually start liking their ideas. You know? That's why every opinion, every argument has to be tested with the word of God. You will end up being very comfortable with it. Very comfortable. With it. If you have grown up or used to having a lumpy pillow, 
though no doctor will recommend to you a lumpy pillow, but you are so comfortable with it because you got used to it. So it's because you are so used to something and so comfortable with something, it does not mean it is true or right. That's why repentance is lifelong. What we are seeing is a battle being raged for the minds and the hearts and the lives of people. It's only going to grow intense, more and more intense. Therefore Christ comes and announces, this is how you need to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Matthew 6 and verse 33, he prioritizes life for his subjects and his children. Seek first the kingdom of God and his, his kingdom, it's a kingdom of power, and the scepter of his kingdom is righteousness. I have a slide. Can I have the slide over there? Sammy? Yeah. So that you understand how the structure works. This is how it works. Jesus is the king. Okay? Jesus the king. He rules over what is called the kingdom of God. He has all power and authority. And in the kingdom, the word of the king is law. That's why we meditate upon the word day and night, so we understand the law of this kingdom. Every judgment the king makes, he makes according to the law. All judgments are made according to the law. The result of a judgment made according to the law of the king, which is the word of God, the result of it is right justice. And what is the effect on the society? It is righteousness. So when he is saying, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, remember this is how it works out. There is a king and there is a kingdom. All power and authority is with him. The word of that king is the law. The word of the king is that law. And wherever the law of the land diverges from the law of God, we go with the law of God and are willing to be a casualty and we will rejoice in it. All our judgments should be made according to the spirit of the law. Because the letter kills the spirit of the law. All the judgments we make in life has to be made according to the spirit of the law. Deepika is interested, looking with big eyes, because that's the lawyer in our midst, no? And what happens at the result of it? You have justice. Justice. Meaning, you become a just person. You become a just person. When you came to Christ, we look at that later, we were positionally made just. Functionally, we are not just. Functionally, we are not just. Functionally, to be just, this is what we need to grow in, that we make our judgments in our life. That is the walk of by faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's how faith comes. You hear the word. That's why it says, if a man even eats with doubt, he has sinned. He has sinned. Because what? You were not just in your eating. You're not just in your eating. You're unjust in your eating. No? Effect of justice is what is it? Is righteousness. Why is this so important? This is very, very important because Christians are in this world. 
And right now the Christians in the largest Christian nation in this world is caught and we see all around the world, everywhere, we call this cry for what? Justice! It's a natural cry, genuine cry. But the problem is you can have only justice with, with judgment. And for judgment, you need to have the word of God. What they are asking for a judgment is not the word of God. It's not the word of God. Okay. Or only what preferences from certain portions of the word of God. The question is, is that what you really want? Justice? Anywhere in India, China, US. Do you want justice? In your personal life, do you want justice? In your marriage, do you want justice? Isaiah 30 and verse 18. Isaiah 30 and verse 18. For the people, therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. He says, wait for me. My God, our God is a God of justice. And one day justice will come. And a day has been set apart for that day. It is called the day of judgment. Like a day can be for a thousand years. So the seventh millennial, the seventh thousand year of Jesus Christ is a day of justice. People want to know what real justice will be? Live under Jesus' rule for a thousand years and you will see it is a reign of justice. And righteousness will be there everywhere. And the knowledge of God will fill the earth. What is that? The word of the king is law. And people will live by that. And the scepter of his kingdom will be a scepter of iron. Because it is spiritual beings ruling over natural man. Spiritual beings. Okay, please understand. This is what is going to happen. So when you come to the king and to the kingdom, that is Christ and to the kingdom of God, the question is, do we really understand justice? Do we really understand righteousness? Everybody, everybody, everywhere in the all, even the little child will say it is not fair. Meaning I want justice. Now they will change that. They will say you have to say it is not right because fair is a word associated with white supremacy. <laughs> so it has to be right. Okay. What about Proverbs 28.5? Proverbs 28.5. Evil men do not understand justice. Meaning until I am born again, I have been justified by God. I will not even understand what justice is. It's not possible. Because if I don't come to Christ and he has not proclaimed me first positionally just, I'm an evil man. And evil men do not understand justice. They powered justice. They don't understand justice. Evil men do not understand justice. You and I will never understand or grow in righteousness until we are first justified by God. 
And then we seek the Lord. Seeking the Lord is what Jesus is talking about. Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Once we have been justified, that is what God does. Remember, there is only one who is just. See, if you go to a court, the judge is not just. He's just a lawyer who has been made a judge. There's a case that is brought before him. He looks at the evidences. He looks at the law and he makes a verdict. That does not mean he's a just man. No judge in any court in the world is just. There's only one who is just. That is God. God is just. Because he is righteous. So he's, see, you can have the most crooked judge sitting on a bench and yet what he, verdict may be right. His verdict has nothing to do with who he is. He's just going by the book. Okay. But God is not that. God is just. God is just. This is what we don't understand. The king, the kingdom. The kingdom, king is just. And the result of him being just is righteousness in the kingdom. And we who were evil, who are outside the kingdom is crying, Lord, there is no justice. You don't even understand justice. What is justice? What is justice? I want justice. He said, really? You don't want justice. He said, you really don't want justice. You want justice in this area which is affecting you, but you don't want the justice in this area which you like. If you want justice, I will give you justice and I will tell you what will happen. Everyone will go to hell. Because there is none who is just. Not a single one. That's why God waits patiently. Patiently. If you look at Romans chapter 3 verses 23 to 26, Paul's treatise on justice. All have sinned. All. And fall short of the glory of God. Everybody have said, meaning they have come short of the law of God. Nobody is righteous. Everybody has sinned. Everybody is a breaker of the law. And everybody should go to hell. But being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God cannot just uh, say mercy. No. The Lord demands a verdict. The Lord demands punishment. The Lord demands restitution. So what did he do? He himself did it. So when you believe on that, he's standing bail for me. See, if you go to a police station and they want a surety before they were released, you can't call the next crook in town and he will stand surety. He will say, no, they want somebody of good reputation. Have you noticed that? It never happens. Uh, Sir, free me, I will call. And the fellow comes, he says, his name is in all these records. You have sent that fellow away. I will lock him also up along with you. Get somebody of good reputation from the society who will stand short. Okay? So the only one who could stand surety for us in God's court was God himself. Whether he could be released. Another just person. And it was Christ. As man lived a life and God had to declare him just. First, that is his life. Just. Then on the cross, the just man has to take the punishment for the unjust. 
so that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth for, that's the propitiation by his blood. I'm getting it right these days. Okay. By his blood. For centuries I struggled with that. I'm not that old. It's a hyperbole. Okay. <laughs> through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed. Verse 26 is a stunner in English. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, any law, any judge in the court, it's irrelevant to his background. He doesn't have to be just. He just has to uphold the law. But God is just. Because the law is an outworking of his own character. Outworking of his. He is both the just and the justifier of one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so every man who is truly inwardly seeking for justice, the answer is the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice and a kingdom of righteousness. You cannot run after causes. You have to run after justice first in your own life. It is not, Lord, I want justice. You have to say, Lord, make me a just man. Make me a just man. Positionally, he makes you just in Christ. And you have to say, Lord, functionally make me just. And I have to grow in that. And that is what growing in righteousness is. Unless we understand the kingdom and what justice is and what justice and how it all works out, we will be fighting causes and still remain unjust. God is just and is a just judge. And his word itself is the law. And God says the church is a microsome. No, microsome? Small example of the kingdom of God on earth. A set of people who received mercy and grace and were declared just. That's Romans 5.1. Just. We are freed from the penalty of sin. All have sinned. Wages of sin is death. We have been freed from it. Why? Because we put our trust in that man with great reputation. We put our trust and God set us free. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Step one. Now God says, you've been freed from the penalty of sin. You are declared just. Now, functionally be just. Functionally. As soon as you have been declared just, you should change your priorities. Completely, your life has to take on a U-turn. What is your priority? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because you have been declared just and you didn't do anything for that. Priorities have has to change. If your priorities hasn't changed, you may not be even saved. You just believed in a good idea. It hasn't become life. You may just have an intention and never a life. Like we always say, the way to hell is paved with good intentions. 
But the way to heaven is a life. I am the way, the truth. That's his word. That's his law, the truth. And the result of it is a life. The unrighteous has been justified. The penalty is gone. Now he is living and acknowledging that the power of sin is being broken. So God says, change your priorities completely. Seek ye first. So when you say thy kingdom come on earth, you know when I pray that prayer, thy kingdom, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I pray, it first begins with me. It doesn't begin with anybody else. It begins with me. I am the closest to heaven on earth for me. It says, it, the kingdom begins with me. Lord, constantly make us just, O oh Lord. Constantly. Let us not look at issues and causes and run over that. The biggest issue, cause, is the kingdom of God. So we have to look around and see. Otherwise, we look. A lot of Christians become activists. That's a problem. And you got the biggest thing in the world ever, like the kingdom of God given to us. And nobody's excited about the kingdom. No. Let me ask you this question. Because we have to deal with current topics so we understand how the kingdom of God works. Why is the US, United States going through an incredible, what you would say, a moral crisis? You see the tumult in that nation. There's a demonic involved, absolutely involved like never before. And there is earthly component also involved. But what is happening over there? What is the moral crisis about? Slavery? Is it because of slavery in the past? No. Just not because of slavery. It was because of the abuse that took during slavery. Because slavery was always there. Always there. Always there. Turn me to Genesis 15 verses 2 and 3. Genesis 15, not 5015. If you go to 50, we'll end up with a dead body. <laughs> and Abraham said, Lord, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. What's he talking about? He says, my slave will inherit everything. So, in much of the old ages, much of the slaves never went through abuse. The issue was not with slavery. The issue was got to do with the abuse associated with certain masters. A lot of them. Abraham is the master. Eliezer is a slave. He has no child. He's not saying my property will go to Lot. That's how we Indians will think. Oh, it should go to my mom. No? What do you say for not mama? Bhatija. No? Bhatija go there. Abraham is not even thinking about his nephew. He's made his own life. Let him go. It all goes to Eliezer. He's the eldest among the slaves born in my house. It will go to him. That was the status of slaves in the ancient world. The Roman emperor's children were taught by slaves who were Greeks. And they owned property of their own. They were slaves. The ancient world had more slaves than citizens. That is why they were so shocked and petrified when they realized they had put Paul into prison and he's a Roman citizen, not a slave. Because Rome is full of slaves. 
And they're all in all kinds of positions working. But citizens are few. Like if you go to like, uh, heart attack has come in Kuwait, no? Kuwait has decided they're going to bring this ratio down. And when the ratio down, uh, expatriates and citizens. And uh, the ratio of the expatriates among citizens should be only this much. And if that becomes law, 8 lakh Indians have to leave. You look into Middle East, a place like UAE, let us say you have 20 lakh people, 1 lakh will be citizens and 18 lakh are expatriates. It's okay. When you use this term slave, there was incredible abuse of slavery, but don't think all slavery was actually bad. Under the law, you could sell yourself as a slave. To to That's the widow who comes and the law was there. You could sell to clear your debts. No? I wish some people cleared their debts that way. We would have a few slaves I would like to buy. <laughs> some to clean my books. <laughs> Just joking, okay? So please understand this. When Jesus came, he did not come as a social reformer. There's no point. I mean, we need to fight for social reformation and all that. But he did not come as a social reformer. He came to redeem man from the slavery of sin. So if you are not freed from the slavery of sin, it does not matter who you are. You could be emperor. You could be slave. Your end is the same. It does not matter. So Jesus did not come to reform society. He came to redeem people who were slaves of sin. And in the book of Romans chapter 6, 17 and 18, Paul puts it beautifully. Don't be so relaxed because tough tough part is coming. I'm pre-warning you, fasten your seatbelts. But God is thanked that though you were slaves of sin, what we were? Slaves of sin. Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And when you from the heart obey that doctrine, which is the word of the Lord, which is the law of the kingdom, what do you become? You have been set free from sin and you become what? A slave of righteousness. Do you know God is a slave of righteousness? Christ is a slave of righteousness. He's not a slave of sin. Christ is a slave of righteousness. Whatever enslaves you, that is your master. You know what God's um, putting across as an example? God allows holiness and righteousness to rule him. Whatever rules you, that's your master. God is holy. Why? Because he allows that to be, defines him. God is righteous. He allows that to define him. That's why in the old covenant there are built-in statutes in the law. Not statutes, statutes in the law for the protection and the freedom of slaves. You could sell yourself, but the seventh year you go free and it doesn't go empty-handed. It's built-in. It was built-in because, see, God knows this is way. I mean, because of that uh, terrible atrocities that happened with slaves of all times. We associate slavery always with a bad term. Right? But uh, we don't realize that much of slaves were not like that. 
they were like today's IT employees. You sign 24-7. You Basically, you become a bond slave. That's why they take it in a bond paper. That's why in the old days, that paper, that particular paper was called a bond paper. Not because the quality of the paper, because that is where you agree yourself. You're binding yourself to something. And because they don't trust us like old days, they keep your certificates. Old days, a man's word was, no, you didn't need a certificate. What he said was enough. But today, (laughs) his word is worth nothing. So they will take surety. They take your certificates because they cannot take your children. Otherwise they will keep your children in your office so that you will work. If you go abroad, what does the contractor do? He takes all your passports away. So you cannot leave. They are all slaves. Working conditions have improved a little better. I don't know. If you look at Roman slaves who lived in nice palaces and big houses, they live in one AC, uh, what you call it, container. One AC put there, 18 people, 20 people in one container. And they said, we are earning. Don't realize, they are modern slaves. So first we have to look at the truth of that word and define the atrocities about it and deal with that. So what should concern is the unrighteous behavior. Unrighteous behavior. There is unrighteous behavior which has to be dealt with. Look at an incredible letter from Paul. It's an appeal for a slave who ran away. Runaway slave. Okay, all American history you had runaway slave. And you have this Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and Jim. Who ran away? Oh, beautiful. Okay, runaway slave. Okay, and you have to see a runaway slave in the church. Okay, here. The slave owner's name is Philemon. And the letter is written to him, who Paul brought to the Lord. And Onesimus, who's a runaway slave. Philemon chapter 1, read from verse 8 onwards. So you see letter, short letter, beautiful letter. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting. He says, knowing who I am and who you are in the kingdom of God, I could command you. I am not. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a, a one as Paul the aged. Now he's an old man, okay? Also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says, okay, you are a slave owner. I am a slave. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. He ended up in jail here with me. And I gave him the gospel. He got saved. Who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. He was not unprofitable to you. So you must have beaten him nicely. So he ran away. But now that he has come back, he has been caught in jail and have brought him to the Lord. And he has changed. Because salvation changes your work ethics. Now he's profitable to you. If I send back, you will get a different kind of worker because he's a kingdom person now, not the old Onesimus. He's profitable to you and to me. So I'm telling you, if he's profitable to me, he's profitable to you too because I am a tougher master than you. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. He says, you know what? Maybe God allowed good to come out of it. Maybe he ran away from you. 
so that he will return a different person and he will never run away again. Earlier he was an unwilling slave. Now he will be a willing slave because he is a slave of Christ and a slave of righteousness. Verse 16. No longer a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as he would me. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self beside. This is how they said. Did I bring you to the Lord? Yes. You know what? I owe your life. You owe me your life. So I am giving you back. Just put it in my account. Cancel it. Yes, brother, let me have the joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. See, we have to see things in the prism of of those times. Now looking at today and shouting and screaming, we don't understand the whole picture of what it is. We have to look at the atrocities that happened during some time. And we do not demean. Because what is happening is, we are judging people who lived 300 years ago, looking at our times. How can you judge George Washington and Thomas Jefferson? How can you? They were incredible men of their times. Their times. We will not even hold a candle to them. The kind of character those people had. That's why Jesus did not say, I have come to abolish slavery. And Paul did not say, here I write to you, abolish slavery. He said, no. Because the ancient slave world was full of slaves. Today we change the name and we make it servants. Modern world is full of servants. But what was not condoned ever in the word of God was abuse. Abuse. Abuse of one's rights of justice. That's abuse. Whichever way you look at it, it's an abuse. It's an abuse. And it doesn't matter from which way it comes. Whether it is here where four rapists were shot with an encounter. It was abuse. And what happened with the dacoit last week in Lucknow? It's abuse. We have all these encounters. And people all shouting and clapping. What for? So you are no better than the abuser. You look. That's what I said. Evil men will never understand justice. Never understand justice. No. And people have to look back. Let me let me read for you. Okay. And this is for US too. You need to understand when America is founded as a nation and the Constitution is being written. In the first words of the Constitution itself. There is the spirit that slavery one day will disappear. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that among these are life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. Once that was written, slavery was bound to go in time. Some of the most 
powerful words ever written in a constitution. Basically, the word was staying at a time when those who wrote were slave owners and they were slaves. But the fundamental word says the slave owner and the slave are equal and made in the image of God. That was the statement that was made. So we need to understand there is something deeper than slavery that causes this injustice in a society. Slavery can can be abolished by law. But what causes the injustice in all this cannot be abolished by law. It is called racism. You cannot abolish racism by law. It can be only taken out by God. You need to be delivered from it. The issue is actually not slavery. The issue is racism. And the problem is, it is so deep-rooted. Most of us don't even are aware that we might be racist. This was the sin that was not dealt with by the church. It was not dealt with. Do you know in US, less than 10% of the churches in US, the largest Christian country, over 100 plus million people claim to be Christians, less than 10% churches in US are actually multiracial. If you have, like we are multiracial. Multiracial. We have every race, every language sitting over here. We don't look at each other, what race, what language. We don't. We're united by a common language. For us, it's not even our mother tongue. And whose mother tongue just went to the restroom? No. Think about it. We didn't get it. Segregation is a term that is used in U.S. history. Segregation is where you divided the people according to race. Black only, white only. They say still today, like if you put in our terms of time, what time do churches begin in India? 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. Let's, let's put 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., depending. Let's put 10 a.m. 10 a.m., they say in America, is the hour of segregation. Even now. Blacks go to black only church. Whites go to white churches. Hispanics go to Hispanic churches. Chinese go to Chinese churches. And US Indians go to Indian churches. You know what? 10 a.m. You want to put a 10 a.m. as a time? It's the hour of segregation in Christian America. You know what has divided us? The color of our skin. The color of our skin. And this is the sin of the church. The world leave it alone. See, the evil man does not understand righteousness. That's why I said you can abolish slavery by law. You cannot abolish racism. It has to be repented of and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, the pursuit of righteousness, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, will constantly demand that we search our hearts. 
Because a man cannot be judged by the color of his skin. He is only judged by the content of his character. That's Martin Luther King's famous words. You can dislike a man because of his character. It's acceptable, even in the kingdom of God. But not because of his color. Otherwise, we are not just. We are unjust. There are so many things it's connected with that. Race is one. Caste is one. Color is one. Wealth is one. Apparel or dressing is one. We don't read the Bible talks about all these things. James chapter 2 verses 1 to 9. Racism has got its different sisters. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. How you should not hold your faith with? Partiality. If there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourself? And you have become judges with evil thoughts. He says you are unjust. Why? Because you judged a man by his outward appearance. So what has been brought over there is both his wealth and his clothes. Now we do not realize caste. You know, there's a civil suit. What is it? No. Uh, class action. It's called a class action suit in U.S. law. Typical class action is when you get a whole set of people to file a case against the state based on discrimination. It's a class action suit going in California against Indian companies. Basically that they have a structure within the Indian companies who have Indian employees in U.S. where they divide workers according to the caste. You will take it there also. My answer to them is cast them out and send them back. <laughs> you see, see, we look at the race, but you don't cast. Race, caste, wealth, dressing. We saw just now. And police brutality is true. Police brutality is true. White privilege. Is true. The problem with the Black Lives Movement problem is that movement has been hijacked by communists and anarchists. So the whole idea behind the movement is already lost. That's the problem. And the church does not become the light on the hill. These anarchists empowered by the devil will take causes and run with it. And bring loot, damage and destruction. I'll tell you examples. So these are things which we need to understand. How it you can permit it into any culture anywhere. Say you are you are in New York City. Let us say I pick Hannah over there. Hannah is not a Hannah, she's a Hannah, it's a white lady. Okay? This uh, situation. 
Nobody knows the situation. She, Hannah, is having a situation, argument with a black man. And she calls 911. The police comes. Naturally, 9 out of 10 times is a white man. Almost imperatively, he will believe her because she is white. And the other man is taken into custody because he is black. That's why you need reform. If you are in North India and you are a South Indian and you run into trouble and your accuser is a North Indian and you are the one who needs justice, you will be locked up. Because you're simply because you're South Indian and you don't speak their language. Or you have a set of fundamentalist people who come into your church, break it all down and you go to the police, you will be put in lockup because of the nature of your religion, which is not acceptable in our country. Evil men do not understand justice. They do not understand justice. So when you ask for thy kingdom come, you are asking, Lord, am I a just person? Am I? So some of their cries are real. When they talk about white privilege, when you're talking about white privilege, it is true. It's true. I'll put two examples. The real examples. Two examples. One from ancient past. Even before our church was begun. I'm talking about my wife. Father British, mother Portuguese. So for all factors, no Indian blood at all, she is white. First time she came to church, another church where I pastoring, you know, her complaint was that I ignored her completely. Years later, just before the pandemic took place, we had a set of white people who came. One of the complaints of one of the men was that the pastor ignored me. You know why they think that way? Because they think, and they don't even realize it is unconscious, because I am white, I need to be acknowledged. A brown man won't think that. A black man won't think that. A white person thinks it. I was ignored. Let me tell you about the truth about my wife. If I and my wife, if my wife had to walk ahead of me, immediately she gets attention. If I walk with her, they will look, oh, you're privileged you have a white wife. It's in our consciousness and we need to repent of it. You know what I tell my wife? I tell my wife, honey, the same things you are doing with the system, if it was done by an Indian woman, it would not succeed. You know why you succeed? It's because you're white. Because you're white. That's what they mean by white privilege. mean by white privilege. It happens everywhere in our cultures too. Every culture has that. Every culture has that. Every culture has that. And we need to realize these are all outward things. Outward things. You have two candidates sitting over there. Let us say women. Two candidates sitting over there. And their qualifications are the same. One is dark and the other is fair and beautiful. I'm telling you, nine out of ten times, if the board is men, the other woman will get it. And I've seen no many cases where it went that way. These are all privileges we never earned. The kingdom of God is not like that. It's not like that. 
So when people talk about it, you need to realize. You need to realize. Now we don't have to talk about, we don't have to talk about US. Leave US alone. We have two black sons sitting over here from Africa. Pure black. The others are African Americans. These are Africans. Don't you face it all the time in India? Though we are only a little, little lightly browner than you. That's all. I mean, Peter and I stand together. He is almost my color. Sam is a little darker. That's all. But that is enough. Every place they go, without even asking you, I will tell you, you face discrimination because of your color. While the person who discriminates you may be ten times smarter than them. That's what they mean by privilege. Automatical assumptions are taken. The kingdom of God should fight that. That's what Paul is talking about. And James is writing about. You have to fight that. And deep inside all of us it is there. God says, do you give preference to people based on race? Based on color? Based on wealth? Based on clothing? Based on education? Kingdom of God doesn't discriminate like that. That's why you have to read the Gospels and you say, it's crazy. John chapter 3, Jesus kind of rebuffs Nicodemus. John chapter 4, he's sitting and talking to this Samaritan woman. What's wrong with him? You see, he's not a racist. He's not a racist. No, no, no. He does not say, oh, Nicodemus, ruler of the synagogue, Jewish, come sit with me. I was waiting for you. Nothing. He goes actually waits and for the other woman. He's a Samaritan, what we call half-breed. The church never learned these lessons. Church never learned these lessons. So slavery was not the problem. Slavery was not the problem. Racism was the problem. Slaves were always there. The question is, can we handle these things when it comes? Like Pastor Vijay. We'll never know. Until Abigail and Emmanuel grows up. And Abigail comes and tells Daddy, Mommy, I found a boy. First thing, is he a believer? Yes, Father, he's a believer. What is his name? Ah, Chinnaya. What? <laughs> Where from? That Basti. Is he an engineer? Yes. My father and mother will discuss. Appa, she's marrying below us. You will never know until that happens to you. Never know what it comes. Then it reaches home. I'm not saying that. I hope he will never do that. Never do that. Never do that. Any one of your sons or daughters says, I want to marry a black man or a black girl. Oh, white man? Everybody, oh, married a white man. That's why I said, if you ever want to frame people's pictures, take x-rays. There's no privilege there. You will see people as they really are. <laughs> these are, these are issues we have, we have dealt with this all the years in our life. White people are there, black people were there, orientals were there, every race was there. We never discriminated. We never showed preference for any particular group. Never did. Because we looked at them. These are kingdom people. There's only one king. And that's not me. 
we looked at all. And some, sometimes we don't realize that when we talk about white supremacy, we create it. We create it. Let me ask you all these young people sitting over here. All young people sitting here. If my wife was Indian, would you react to her the way you do now? Would you? Would you? Or do you react to her because of who she is, loving, kind and also white? That part of her character, I will never take it off. She's all that. But also white. See, we have to see beyond all this and see only the person. Jesus only sees the person. He looks into the heart. He sees the person. And when it comes to these things, we should be colorblind. Blind. In Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10 is an incredible picture of redemption. In heavens. After these things I looked. And behold a great multitude. Which no one could number. Of all nations. Tribes. People. And tongues. Everybody was there. Standing before the throne. Before the Lamb. Clothed with. What? But why? No the black race should be given. Orange robes. White should be given. White robes and Indian should be given. No, everybody is dressed the same way. There's no, there's no discrimination there. It doesn't matter who you are on earth. Everybody is the same there. Every tribe, every nation, peoples and tongues, crying out with a loud voice, saying salvation below. Everyone when they reach heaven, it says, yeah, I had no privilege at the foot of the cross. Everyone came the same way. Sinner, Destined for destruction, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And that blood shows, showed no color and no preference. Everybody. That's where the church fell. The church was supposed to be the city on the hill. City on the hill. We need to ask ourselves, how are we? How do we deal with people? How do we deal with people? I can't, I have no issues with color. I have all kinds of sons and daughters. Black sons and Cuban sons and Jamaican sons and white daughters and Hispanic daughters. All kinds of Arab daughters, Chinese sons and daughters. All kinds of Love them all the same. Race is irrelevant. Irrelevant. We need to ask ourselves these serious questions. Because... Otherwise what will happen is the devil will come in and use his people and hijack a movement and all you see is death, destruction and damage. George Floyd died and his last cries were, I cannot breathe. A black man dying at the hands of a white man. But because of what happened, 17 others died and 13 of them were black. Does you Do you know the name of any of the 17 who died? Why? Because when these movements get hijacked by the devil, these are just casualties. They don't matter because of movement. But you cannot legislate racism away. You have to repent of it. 
No government can legislate because it's in your heart. The laws only sees what is outside. You can put your arm around a black brother and walk and still be racist. Show one thing outside and be something different inside. Because the casteism is the same. The same thing. In India, same thing. Racist is there. It's caste here. And the church in India is still not free from it. Still not free from it. Still bound by it. And the kingdom of God knows no caste. Knows no race. And we have to understand and look at all around and say, in this cry there is a serious issue. And that issue cannot be answered by politicians. It can be answered only by the church. And the church has to stand up and say, you, that's what I said. What did I say? If 10 o'clock is service time in US or 11 o'clock is the service time in them, it is the hour of segregation, even today. Today is Sunday, and a little later, when it becomes 10 o'clock in, uh, when you were there, what time does church begin? 10. What time does church begin? 10. 10. 10 o'clock, what happens? People move according to their color. Blacks go into black churches, whites go into white churches, Hispanics go into some churches. There are very few multi-ethnic churches in U.S. till today. Less than 10% is the statistics. What divided you? But What divided you? Whites and blacks, most of them speak English. So it's not language that divided you. We are united by language. We have one language. So it's not language that divided you. It's color that divided you. It's color that divided you. And that's the issue. When you see the segregation in the church, the church has no voice to come out of the street and speak that this is wrong. This is wrong. We failed. We failed. We failed. And we preach a gospel that is antithetical to the gospel of the kingdom of God, that prosperity is the norm. We have already segregated people into poor and rich. And if you are poor, that means God is not blessing you. You are not part of the kingdom. King sees none of these things. Race, caste, how do we look? Family, wealth, education. That's why the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Positions. In Mark 10, 43 to 45, Jesus gives a command. 43 to 45. It shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. I like that word. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You know, when the Son of Man came, he came as a willing slave. He put a cross and he 
completely different agenda of kingdom people. And God says, do we fit into that narrative? Or are you defined by your race, by your caste, by your family, wealth, qualifications, positions to serve or to be served? Question is, can God give us power and authority in his eternal kingdom? Am I a just man? Am I a just man? That's what God is talking about. In Ephesians 5, 22, 21, before 22 begins, 5, 21, he puts an incredible statement, submitting to one another in the fear of God. No, you have two words called differ and defer. We are all different, but we defer to one another. We submit to one another. To submit to one another, you cannot be blinded by race or caste or wealth or any of those things. We defer to one another. I defer to Peter when it comes to music because I know he's greater than me in that. Okay, His color of his skin is irrelevant. I defer to technology in, to Sammy. No, I am the pastor. I have to work this also out. No, you are black. You stay away. I'll find some Indian. No. No. He's the one smarter than the Indians. What got the color of the skin got to do with it? What is asking serious questions? Because most of you sitting here are single. How will you make life choices? What all will you factor in? We should defer to one another. And God led a motley group of ex-slaves through the desert for 40. They were all slaves, poor people. 400 plus years of slavery. It's gone into their bones. I mean, God had so much pity for them. No, I mean, God is a pitiable. I mean, I have pity for them. So God definitely had more pity for them. I mean, you've been lived in slavery for, I had so much compassion for my kids in Bhutan. So much compassion for my kids in Bhutan because they did not know education what was until the 1960s. There was no education in Bhutan. They were tribals. Country was close to the world for 500 years. Opened up. Our first prime minister, Nehru, had to go on mule back for two days to reach the capital. Look at the caliber of our first prime minister and the other prime ministers. Today they go on. India won for 500 crores all around the world. The first man went on horseback because he said, this is my nearest neighbor. I need to visit that place and meet the leadership. So you know what he did? He went on horseback two days. And I know the road. I went by road. In a motor vehicle, my prime minister went on mule back to open their country to the world. And they were simple kids. And with those kids who are first generation, you have to have a lot of sympathy and mercy. One of the most common words in that country they will associate to anybody like me or you who is not a citizen is the word jaga. 
Second word I will not use. It is the most filthy word in their language. Jaga means foreigner. The most commonly used words connected with foreigners. You can still love them. And still serve them. Why? Simply because of the words from the cross. Father, they do not know what they say. They're judging you by the color of your skin. Everybody is a racist. Go to China, they're full of racists. You go to Japan, they're full of racists. You go to India, full of racists. You go to America, full of racists. You go to Africa, full of racists. Tribe after tribe. Rwanda massacre. How many hundred thousand died between two groups of Christians? Hutsis and Hutsis and Hutus. How many died? Suddenly when the battle began they forgot they were Christians. They looked at tribes and the, the what is the two groups? I forgot their names. Hutus. They killed each other in their tens and thousands, massacred. Everything was forgot. You know why? Though they had become Christian, they had never got over their tribal affinity. That's why God says priority, the kingdom of God is first. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness. And to be righteous, you need to be just. And a just man sees no color, no race, no caste, no tribe, no wealth, no dress. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. Otherwise, when we stand before God for our crowns, Lord, I did all this for you. Where is your crown? He says, I know you did, but deep inside you are a racist. That's why this incredible picture of this set of slaves, ex-slaves, taken through the desert. And there is a picture given there in First Corinthians chapter 10. Two and three. He made them one unit with two things. Two symbols he gave them. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And verse 4 also. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They were all baptized into one man. They were united in baptism, united in food, united in drink. That's why God kept two things here. Two things there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 to 28. For you are all Sons of God. If you are all sons of God, then there is no color there. Right? There is no color there. There is no color there. Through faith in Jesus Christ. You are all. This is written to a Gentile church. There is no color there. There is no black, no white, no brown, no yellow. No color code there. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on, the skin color has changed. What have you put on? You have put on Christ. 
We all put on the same thing on. What did we put on? We put on Christ. We put on Christ. There is no Jew nor oh that was the biggest bridge to to cross. A Jew won't eat with a Greek or a Gentile. Will never even get into his house. Two times Peter has to repeat it to Cornelius. I'm only coming because of a vision. And the vision was on two times. Do you know who I am? We never, we never fellowship with Gentiles. And then later in Galatian church, when some Jews came from James, he still separated. And Paul had to rebuke him because Paul had no color in his eyes. Though he should have been the one who should have had being a Pharisee. He's a true disciple. True disciple. Even till today, if you do not know, Peter and Sami, let me tell you today, even today in India, in so many parts of India, you go to the countryside, there are in hotels, there are separate utensils and cups kept to feed the people of the lower caste. They cannot sit and eat with the others. They won't give them. So many villages of India the lower caste people cannot draw water from the same well as the upper caste. You need to realize when you go to rural countries, rural places, and you preach about this Samaritan woman, people cry because it relates to their actual life where they cannot draw water from the well to know the Son of God came and sat by the well and asked for water from somebody of a lower caste. People go through this all the time. We need to realize as a church, church failed. The issue was not slavery. It was the abuse. The issue was racism because many of the slave owners were incredibly nice people. Godly people took care of slaves. Really took care of them. Gave them a good life and opportunity and everything. But slavery has been abolished. For there are still slaves of sin. And their race is inside. This is what God says. There is nothing. No Jew, no Greek. Neither slave nor free. No male nor female. For you are one in Christ Jesus. Because if you don't deal with these issues in your heart, what will happen, it will all come out. It will all come out. And we do not even realize these things which are in our heart, colors, our perspective. A black man can equally hate a white man as a white man can demean and dehumanize a black man. A rich man who has contempt for the poor man is as blinded as the poor man who covets and envies for the rich man's wealth. And this is how the demonic enters. Both male chauvinism and feminism are demonic. Mixed with some truths mixed with lies. Which ultimately results in hatred and violence. In homes. And God says these attitudes should be repented of and prejudiced 
So he took a set of slaves, 12 tribes, put them together and he says, you have been made one in Moses. Eat the same food that will come from above. Drink the same water that will come from the rock. The rock is my son. The bread is also my son. And Moses represents my son. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we go to communion, chapter 12, verses 12 to 13, the most powerful symbol kept in the church. For as the body is one and has many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. You know why he kept this in the church? So that every prejudice, every racist, everything in our hearts would be destroyed to know that we are one body, different parts. And different parts, one body. That's why he put it over there. Right over there. And you know what we did? We segregated according to our language, our caste, our race, and we changed the nature of that body. So we had ready churches, raw churches. No? Kerala, full of Syrian churches, non-Syrian churches. Now they'll always use that Syrian tag to say somewhere there has little Semitic blood or Brahmin blood. And now all these things will come out during marriage alliance. First question, is it Syrian or not? Not Christian. Syrian or not? Syria is where bomb, being bombed out day and night. Syria is being destroyed. The Syrian in you hasn't gone. Should ask, you mean that Syrian from Damascus, aliaser? That's lame? You're talking about that Syrian? You have to, you have to see racism in the church. The oldest church in India, you have to see it. Then many centuries ago, one group of people came from the Middle East with one bishop and they created a different community over there into which our beloved sister Joba belongs. You cannot, no, 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 not Marathama, Knana, Christians. Inside that group, they can only marry among themselves. So in that group, you are not even asked whether you are a Syrian. Are you from this particular tribe which centuries ago came from there? If you have to marry outside that, you need to get special permission from the bishop because my cousin married one from that caste. Not caste, that group. You know why he, she married him? Because her sister was raped and killed by a priest and his body was found in a well. So it became a huge hangama and this girl remained unmarried because of this stigma attached. And she married my cousin. You need to understand how deep-rooted these things are. And everybody goes to the church. Everybody lifts the name of the same God. And God looks down and says, what are you people doing? Why did you change my image? This is not who I am. He says, the slave owner and the racist is the devil. I am the one who came to redeem the slaves and lay down my life for them. So he gave us a symbol. 
He gave us a symbol. And this is a symbol. One body. Many parts. One body. Many parts. And we have to be very, very, very careful about these things. The Bible says before you go to communion, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 to 27 to 31, tells us very, very carefully, God, therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself. He says, do you see the nature of this body? There is no color in it. It's a body composed of white men and black men and brown men and yellow men and all kinds of men, all races. Did you judge your heart before you partook of it? Or are you still hidden prejudices in your heart? Prejudices in your heart. Do you have things hidden in your heart? How do you see people? Do you see by the color of their skin? By their wealth? By their position? By their education qualifications? How do you see people? Whether they speak English or not? And if they speak English, how good is their accent? How do we look at people? That's what God is talking about. You go to the Middle East. You go among the Jews. You go to Israel. I haven't been to Israel. Go to Israel. And if you go to Israel and find a Jew who's got blonde hair and blue eyes, come back and tell me. If you see a Jew who's got? And what is Jesus in the movies? Who made him white? Was a Jew from the tribe of Judah. Who made him white? So you can look at Jesus' movie, look at it, but that's not what Jesus is. Get rid of these attitudes, because I see all over India, pastors, them minutes here, white man, oh, Hazur, Hazur, Hazur. Why are you running after him? We don't discriminate. We do not lift somebody up. Treat everybody equally. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Sometimes we don't realize we have prejudices in our own hearts. Our own hearts. Ask yourself, all IT company employees, if your manager rebukes you, how will you take it? If your manager is white, if your manager is Indian, if your manager is black, how do you take it? These are real life situations. A rebuke is a rebuke. It's got nothing to do with the color of the skin, whether it is true or not, whether it applies to me or not. But you not. Uh, you take it nicely because he's white. You take it badly because he's black. How dare me? At least my skin is better than his. Real situations I'm talking about. That's why yesterday during the Q&A I said there are two people in the U.S. Congress, one in Trump's cabinet, who's the, who's the nicest man in his cabinet, most godly, the most well-educated, the most refined man. It's Ben Carson. And he's black. And he's black. And in the Congress, listen to Tim Scott. He's black. He's black. Look at all these things. You need to ask, 
A man should not or a woman should not be judged by anything other than who he or she is, the character, the person. And the only thing that matters is the character. And we have been given the character, the mind of Christ and asked to grow in the character of Christ. So we love our white brothers. We love our black brothers. And like colored spectrum too, we love everybody else. We are not putting like this. White and black here. Now we are putting it like this. Because that's what it means. Adama. Adama means earth. And earth comes of all these colors. He took mud and he mixed it. I believe he took some from India, some from Africa, some from everywhere, all colors, mixed it and made the first man. So out of the first man will come all colors. It doesn't matter what your color is. If you believe in the Bible and the God of the Bible, it all came from one man. Out of one man. And nobody knows what his color was. So that's what the Bible is talking about. We have to deal with these issues because we say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness is a result of justice. And when righteousness comes, you and I should become just. Should become just. Should become just. So last we go to communion. I request Pastor Vijay to come. And uh, Dr. Richard, we shall declare you to the world today. You can use the sanitizer because you have to touch the... Oh, Pastor Vijay will touch the... Uh, yes, uh, sanitize his hands. And Dr. Richard also can sanitize. Just few of us. Your cups will come to you. And your bread will come to you. And all... I will tell you a simple example. I forgot to tell about a simple example in India. Simple example in India because all our sisters are sitting over here. If you want to know whether you are racist or not, you got some, it, it comes in different colors like a chameleon. Oh, I'm not a racist, but it'll be something else. How do you treat your servant maid? Bye, bye. Simple. That is the common denominator in India. How do you treat your servant maid? Government language, how do you treat your class 4 employee? We have different classes there, class 1, class 2, class 3 and then class 4. In the army term, how do you treat the sepoy? Does anybody regard the sepoy? Sepoy is the lowest in the army. Yes, Peter, please come. Now I want you to go back. Check your newspaper and read the 20 who died at Galwan and see how many of them are sepoys. And they were sepoys. They laid down their lives. They had no value in the system because they were sepoys. But when people had to die, they died to keep us free. Con Connell, mostly sepoys. These are the facts of life we need to understand and say, Lord, let me let me have no prejudices, Lord. And if it is, show me, Lord. Show me how do I judge people. How do I judge people, Lord? Help me not to have preferences in my life connected with. That's why a poor person will come. Jesus is ready. A rich man comes. He's ready. He's ready for everybody. 
You have to go through the Gospels and you will see, you know, he had no racist bone in him. Absolutely. So this morning when we come to the bread, eat it with a completely different one cup, one loaf, many parts, one body. Many parts, one body. That is that unity of faith we have. When we partake of it, we have to say, Lord, really make me one. You are the head, make me one, Lord. So that we don't see any differences among us. Any differences among us. All the separation that comes is only by truth and truth alone. Nothing else. What separates you will separate me. What does not separate you will not separate me. That's the only thing. Nothing else. Come, Pastor Richard. And all those who are watching online, I request you, my brethren of all colors, all nations, all languages, we love you. I think God had to pick a man somewhere in the middle of this color spectrum to speak this. The elements, you will have to wait. Online people, I know you have the elements with you, but uh, wait until you have received, uh, we partake of it, and then you can partake of it. I will read from here, from the letter to the Corinthian church in First Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 23 onwards, <clears throat> Pastor Vijay, you are there. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Yes, Dr. Richard, you could pass it on. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man or a woman or to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. As you're getting the cups, shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you. This incredible truth of the body. One body, many parts. That's what we are. And nothing, nothing should divide us, Lord. We are united by the head. As Israel was baptized into Moses in the Red Sea, we were baptized into Christ. And we have put on Christ. Oh, Father, help the church, GDC, worldwide, to be one in Christ. We are not divided by anything. The color of our skin, the race, our education, our wealth, our dressing, our looks, our language, 
our accent. Oh, Father, I pray that nothing divide us. Let everyone put on Christ and know we are one in Christ. And by faith this morning, I bring all our brethren around the world, my black brothers and sisters who grieve, who grieve, who have grieved for centuries, never knowing why this has happened to them. Our Chinese brothers and sisters, Indian brothers and sisters, white brothers and sisters, every color, every race, all of them, we are one, Lord. We are one. And as we partake of Father, I pray, it will heal us and deliver us from these powers of darkness that causes prejudice and divides the body of Christ. The body is only one. It will always will be one. And you will have people from every nation, every tribe, every town who will cry out and give you glory. Because redemption was by one and one alone. Thank you, Father. Thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one with the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And then know we are Christians by our love. By our love, elder, know we are christened by our love. We will walk with each other, we will walk side by side. We will walk with each other, we will walk side by side. And we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yeah, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yeah, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Can we sing that once again, please? We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yeah, they know we are Christians by our love. We will work. We will work. 
with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side, and we'll guide each man's dignity and save each man's life. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Come to your Father, cause your love was colorblind. Your word says, "For God so loved the world, not any particular race, or tribe, or language, or status. You loved everyone, and because you loved everyone, you gave your only son, only son. And when your son came, you didn't give him any privilege, no privilege." Born in a manger. He had no privilege. So that the most underprivileged also could approach him. You gave him a carpenter as a father. And simple peasant girl as a mother. You gave him a profession for 30 years as a carpenter. To know that in every work there is dignity. When he died, you hung him between two thieves to show us that we were all criminals, all destined to hang on the cross. And for us, you died. On the cross, you allowed yourself to be stripped of everything so that you could cover us with your own righteousness. Today we stand before thee, Lord, acknowledging outside of Christ, we are nothing, we have nothing. Christ is sufficient for us. Help us to have the mind and the attitude of Christ. We don't run after causes. We are not activists because the greatest of all causes has been given to us. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make us just. Each day, make us just. Search Help us to search the innermost resources of our heart to know that we deal with humanity. There are no hidden prejudices. Deal with it now so that you do not have to deal with it then. Heal America, Lord. Heal that land. Bow all lands. 
the land that proclaimed 300 years ago. 244 years ago they proclaimed themselves as one nation under God. I pray Lord heal that land. Heal that land. Deep wounds. Deep divisions. Let the Lord the powers of darkness take this cause or it is not their cause. It's the cause of your kingdom. And I pray you would bless and anoint President Trump. That truly you will make him a man. No prejudices. That he will work to see people of every color of his nation will be uplifted. He'll be given an even platform to pursue what God has put in their hearts. Truly, the preamble to their constitution would come alive in the heart of every citizen of the U.S. That those rights are unalienable, given by God, cannot be taken away by man. Heal our nation. 6,000 years of prejudices divided by caste. Sect and subsect after another. Hundreds, thousands. People living and dying in man-made enclaves. Never knowing the truth, the glory of the gospel, the liberty of the gospel. Break the powers darkness that are holding nations in bondage, Lord. Let the chains come off. Let there be true men like Paul and Silas who will go into prison bound for the cause of the kingdom and through their praise and through their prayer break the powers of darkness that the chains of people may be set free. Let another generation arise a God like Paul and Silas who will allow themselves to be bound for the king so that those who are bound by the devil may be set free. As he said, these chains have only resulted in the furtherance of the gospel. Oh Father, let this pandemic and this lockdown bring forth a revival like the world has never seen. A true revival. The final revival where the church will become one, united by Christ. One baptism, one faith, one spirit. One. Oh, we thank you, Father. Only in Christ it is possible. And in Christ it is possible. Thank you, Father. Thank you. My prayer as the head of GTC. Make us one of that kind, Lord. All our churches around the world, we are black pastors, white pastors, Hispanic pastors, whites, blacks, Hispanics, Indians, Chinese, all living under one roof, like truly like brethren, Arabs, every, every race, people from every religion, every tribe are there in GTC. And I thank you for every one of them. 
we see ourselves as brothers and sisters and see them as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters there's no division in us and we will allow no division we thank you father we thank you we thank you we praise you we give you glory when these walls come down in our hearts we know we bring a smile to our father's face then we know you look down on us from heaven and say these are my children these are my children thank you father thank you father thank you we praise you we worship you we glorify you for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory for ever and ever lord for in jesus name we pray amen the grace of the lord jesus christ the love of the father and the fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each one of us amen